the Hebrew alphabet. Now, what's interesting, this was written for kids. This was to train children, the priests, adults. Train your kids to, importantly, how life is all centered in God. So when they were learning the Hebrew alphabet, all 22 letters, they are reinforcing that in their education about who God is and what his word's about. And I think about that today and our, how difficult it would be for us to memorize seven verses, let alone 176. It's just not in our culture, is it? Uh, we're just not trained or skilled in memorization today, but they were back then. And so this is what's going on. This Psalm 119 to train them, to head them in the right direction according to God's word. And so today we're going to look at this first highway sign of hungering and craving after God's word. And so I want to go, first of all, to the verse 103 in this psalm. I love this, this verse. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now, 61 times in the covenant, old covenant, there is the mention of honey. David refreshed himself with honey. Jonathan found a big old scoop of honey. Samson just gets a big old beehive, honeycombs of honey. God said to his people, I'm going to end, you're going to enter the promised land where it will be the land of milk and honey. Now, the milk was goat's milk. And the honey is referring to there is no, not so much the bees' honey, but the syrup from fruits like grapes and dates and as well as bee honey. But it's going to be prosperous. It's going to be abundant. It's going to be great. It's going to taste well. And this is, this is the idea here that honey is a symbol of health and wealth and abundance and prosperity. And it's refreshing to you. And, and I see this verse here, and I'm going to ask you this question. What kind of relationship do you think this psalmist had with God? When he talks about God's word here, doesn't it give you great insight about the relationship he has with God. Your words are sweet to my mouth, right? To the taste. They, they're sweeter than honey uh, to my mouth. He has a great relationship with God, doesn't he? It's something that we all long for, right? That, man, I would look at the word of God in the following man. Incidentally, notice what he doesn't compare his hungers and cravings to. He doesn't say, my cravings and hunger for God's word is like eating my vegetables, does he? He doesn't say, oh, Lord, your word is so good, it tastes like uh, broccoli and Brussels sprouts. Doesn't say that, does he? Uh, we understand that there are certain foods that are good for us, but they, they don't necessarily taste good, right? But we eat them because we know that this is something we should eat because it's good for us. I wonder sometimes if that's not how we approach the word of God. Well, I know I should read it. I know I should really, it's good for me. I mean, I hear this every Sunday, you know. I know I should be in God's word every, but it just, I just don't have that relationship with my God. I don't see it as sweet as honey. It's like eating vegetables. It's like another steamed broccoli and Brussels sprouts and asparagus, you know, and undercooked. It's just like, ah, you know, just not good. But here he says, look, the word of God is, is not only good for me, it tastes good. 
It's sweet. It's appetizing. It satisfies my hungers and my cravings. And so you reach a point on this going in the right direction where when you're reading God's word, you actually look forward to it. It really does satisfy the hunger and craving. And just like our physical bodies has those hungers and craving for physical food, you develop within your spiritual walk. I'm looking forward to being in the Word today. I'm looking forward to being in that study. It tastes great. It's so filling. It it satisfies my every need. Now, I'm going to ask, what would make the Word of God so sweet to us? What would it make for us to say, oh, that is something I really want to do? Well, the psalm talks about about this, the many benefits of this sweet, delicious word. First of all, it's a preventative, just like honey is sometimes. In verse 11, it says, it keeps me from sinning. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Another great benefit from this taste of the honey of the word of God is it gives me vision. It opens my eyes to the wonderful things of God. When I, when I obey your word, the psalmist says, my eyes are open to the wonderful things that are contained in your law. It's sweeter than honey because of the strength you get from it. In verse 28, my soul is weary with sorrow, but I am strengthened according to your word. And then you talk about the taste of freedom. In verse 45, I walk in freedom because I sought out and kept your precepts. And here's what makes it so appetizing as well is the word hope. All these are talked about throughout the psalm. Verse 49, for example, your word to your servant gives me hope. See, it's appetizing. It's delicious. It's something you look forward to. So so if I need to be kept from a sin, strength for temptation. Do I need to be comforted? If I need a vision of what life is really about, if if I need to walk in that freedom and remind myself of that hope, I go to God's Word. And I find it to satisfy that hunger and craving in my heart. So I want us to return back now to verse 3. And notice, he says, how sweet are your what? The words. How sweet is the Word of God? Now, we've just seen some of the reasons why this Word of God is sweet and so appealing. It's not something you have to choke down, something you have to do because you're supposed to do it. You find out this is, this is really what life's about, and you look forward to that, that book about life that's there. And, and so you have this hunger and this craving for his word. Uh, Jesus himself said in the Beatitude, blessed are they who hunger and thirst, for they'll be what? After righteousness, for they will be filled. Uh, Peter said, look, you know, newborn babies desire the mother's milk. That's the same way you should have in your approach to the sincere word of God. So that you grow up in salvation. In Hebrews, the Hebrew writer said, look, you need to desire. You need to crave. You need to hunger the solid food of God's word. And so in Psalm 119, verse 35, the psalmist says, direct me in the path of your commands, for there I will find, see, there's that word again. What is it? I'll find delight there. You look forward to it. So when you're heading in the right direction, you realize that you are living and you find the Word of God to be something that you really want to have more and more in your life. Now, there are synonyms throughout Psalm 119 about God's Word. So I want you to turn to Psalm, the first eight verses of this Psalm. And I want you to notice some of the synonyms that are used here about the Word of God. Each one brings a different shade of meaning to 
what the word of God means to us. For example, in verse 1, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. He's talking about there the first five books, the Old Testament, the Torah. They follow after the law. Look in verse 2. Here's another word. Blessed are those who keep his statutes. Statues, statutes are what are permanent. They're what you engrave. Um, it's what you cut into stone. It's what we call our non-negotiables. In verse 4 through 5, you lay down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Precepts are in, in, found in a covenant. God's made a covenant with you. And here's the precepts of that covenant. This is what God will do for you if you're doing these things in the precepts following after him. And then in verse 6, then I would not be put to shame when I consider your commands. Well, we know what commands are. We get them every day, don't we? But that's how the word of God is described here in the first few verses. And there's others like the word ruler and testimonies. Law, statutes, perfect, uh, decrees, commands, rulers, testimonies, all those referring to the same thing. And you go back to Psalm 103, and I want you to notice when he talks about the words. He uses this word, a personal pronoun in front of it, doesn't he? What's the personal pronoun? How sweet are your words? See, it's not just words. They're the words of God. And the emphasis is, this word's for you. Put this word into action. Get this word engraved into your heart. Follow it. Obey it. Keep it. Love it. Enjoy it. Because when you do that, you're going to find your hope and praise and confidence in this beautiful, wonderful word of God. Amen? And that's what you're encouraged us to do. Now, go back to verse 1 through 8, and let's see that personal pronoun again. <clears throat> verse 1, it's his law. It's the law of the Lord. And verse 2, it's his statutes. Now, drop down to verse 4, it's his precepts. And then in verse 5 through 6, oh, that my ways were steadfast in your decrees. There's another synonym. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I really like that last one there. Let's just camp there for a moment. I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. Have you ever been embarrassed when you found out that you believed to be something true that ended up not being true? That you were so certain. How in the world could I believe that to have been true? And you find out that it's not true. Uh, let me tell you, you will never, ever have to fear in your life that someone can come up to you and give you proof that God's word is not the truth. You will never be put to shame in that department. There may be times in your life when you have to stand up for Christ in a crowd, and it may be a little bit embarrassing because none of us have to stand out. But there will never come a time or a day in the world in which we live that someone can make you embarrassed and ashamed for following the word of God by proving to you that it's not truth. That's just cleverly devised stories. They've tried to do that for thousands of years and have always failed. And they'll never be able to do it. You know why? Because God's word is firm. God's word is truth. And God's word is eternal. That's why I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And that's why the psalmist says, I will not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. 
his laws, his statutes, his precepts, his decrees, and all his commands. Now, I want you to notice in these verses the blessing to your life that comes when you hunger and crave after God's word. Notice in verse 1 and 2, you're blessed those whose ways are blameless, and you're blessed when you keep his statutes. So I want to talk about this word blameless this morning. Because I don't know about you, but I see the word blameless, I think of perfection. That I'm going to be perfect. So blessed are those whose ways are perfect. When I think about blameless, though, in the Bible, it's not about my perfection. It's about something that's been done for me. For example, if I have blame in my life, then there's guilt, right? And if there's guilt, there's going to be some sort of punishment that goes with that guilt. Are you with me? So I want to be a state where I'm blameless, where I have no guilt, and the punishment has been removed. When you are going in the right direction with God, God does that for you. And the psalmist discovered that. It was not about perfection. It was about direction. You understand? If you're heading in the right direction with God and living under his grace and mercy and trying to seek his will, you are blameless before God because he's taking care of this. He takes care of the guilt. He takes care of the punishment. He also removes the blame. Now, the psalmist understood that, but man, you know it so much better, don't you? You know it at such a higher level, don't you? Why do you know this at a higher level? Because who is your Savior? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who took your blame on the cross? Who put it? Whose guilt was on that cross? Just say your name, your guilt. Who suffered the punishment for your blame and your guilt on the cross? Jesus. So when Jesus is through with you on the cross and you put your faith in him and baptize into his name, you are blameless. You are free and clear. There is no guilt. And there is no accusation against you. You are now free from the accusations of all the charges of the sin against you. Man, you should just say hallelujah to that one. I mean, this is just great what, what God does for that. And here's that verse for it, Colossians 1.22. God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, see, blameless, free from accusation. Here's your action step. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. It's great. That's what God does for us. Blessed are those who are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. And then you go to Romans 8, chapter 1. There is no condemnation for those that are what? Christ. No. Guiltless. Right? Free. Blameless. No punishment. Galatians 5, 1. Here's the freedom. It is for freedom's sake that Christ has set you what? Free. Stand firm then, there's your action step, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't go back into it. You're walking in this freedom. And it all ties back to our Psalm 119, verse 45. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Now, those are several verses we've tied in together. But they're all talking about what it means to be blessed as being blameless before God. It's not a passive state. Because when you are walking in that freedom... And you're now heading down the right direction. There are action steps that you continue to take. 
continue to follow that enhance and increase and just make your spiritual walk grow deeper and deeper. Amen? And so here, here it is. Look in verse 1 through 8. Here's, here's the action step. Uh, you walk according to the what? So you walk according to the law of the Lord. This is referring to your daily lifestyle. Every day has intention. You live with intention. I, I dare say that most of you get up every morning and you have some sort of life plan, don't you? Things that you need to do today and things that you would like to accomplish today. It normally doesn't go according to plan all the time, does it? But you have a plan. 